Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. The potential of smarter factories driven by advanced technologies and greater connectivity is exciting, but equally daunting. That's because in our enthusiasm to embrace all the time and cost savings associated with the machines, automation, and data associated with these advancements, the industrial sector often pushes one of the most important aspects of all this connectivity into the realm of tomorrow's problems. Well, tomorrow is here. There are over 20 billion connected devices in the industrial sector, and that number is projected to nearly double in the next five years. Additionally, according to Rapid, the largest API hub in the world, over 60% of API users are in manufacturing. So some simple math shows that we'll continue to see a surge in both the number of connections and the need to be secured and more specifically, an increasing number of application programming interface connections that also need to be defended. So just to refresh, these are the calls that are made between devices, software, and other connected assets to trigger an action or to share information. And if you're not interested in them, well, trust me, the hackers are. Before we get to our guest, I'm excited to announce that Security Breach is now being sponsored by Rockwell Automation. For more information on their cybersecurity solutions, you can go to rockwellautomation.com. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Jason Kent, hacker in residence at Sequence Security, a leader in API protection solutions. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. I think you have one of the more interesting titles of anybody we've had on Security Breach. So maybe we could just start off by talking a little bit about what does it mean to be a hacker in residence and, and what are some of the things you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I work for a company called Sequence Security, and we are a security company, but uh, security companies help other people usually. Um, and so having someone in residence in-house in that literally is doing adversarial work against these clients is, is really my job. So I, I take a look at why they're being attacked, how they're being attacked, how they could be attacked, how I could attack them. And we put things together and we try to figure out what are the best mitigation routes? How can we stop the traffic that's bad that's coming in? Um, and then what are, what should we be doing analysis on? A lot of what we do has machine learning that runs underneath of it. But as you probably know, or maybe know, machine learning is not at a state where you just point it at stuff and it goes. Um, machine learning is at a state where you say, I need to compare, do Bayesian analytics on these maybe five data points. Um, and then the machine learning kicks in. So there's a lot of that. I sit down and look at login flows. I look at how traffic goes across APIs. And I try to figure out like, how are we going to build a mitigation strategy? Um, where are the attacks going to come from and that kind of stuff? And then I do original research. So uh, I do a lot of responsible disclosure type work. Interesting. I know Sequence is really focused on the API security, but are there, in addition to that, are there some other vulnerabilities that you continue to come across in your role? Yeah, um, I, you know, we continue to see uh, all manner of things, right? Um, and then new things come on online all the time. So we're still seeing Log4j, um, which, uh, you know, is an Apache Vuln that had a, a, a patch come out for it what a year two years yeah. ago now. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. um we still see that right so there's those kinds of vulnerabilities out there but a lot of what happens in an api work that 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 most organizations do uh, is business logic flaws it's it's literally i forgot to protect this endpoint or uh you know some workflow that's there a good example of this is uh there's an isp in australia that had an endpoint open on their APIs that 
uh, was for a third party. If you throw a phone number at it, it would give you back the subscriber data, right? So if I gave it your phone number, it would give me back your name and address and all the wow. stuff about you that the system had. It was a mistake. They didn't mean to do that. <laughs> but that's an example of a business logic flaw. The thing's open to the public internet and I can touch it. Jeez. I mean, that's a great example too, in terms of how I think a lot of folks, especially in the industrial sector, are looking past this. They think a lot of these small, these low hanging fruit has already been picked and taken care of. But obviously, it's still a huge concern. In your role, I think you've, you know, that's one example. There's got to be some other stuff that maybe you've come across too that, that you were just surprised to see that this was actually a vulnerability. Maybe you could share some of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've seen um, organizations that, uh, you know, if you look at somebody's APIs, you'll see it'll say uh, example.com slash V1 slash API slash whatever, right? And then the call goes out. Uh, that V1, that tells me they're versioning their APIs. And I've seen a V16 and a V1 existing at the same time. V16 was a SAML authenticated multi-factor, like, you know, all the security pieces that they could shove in there and V1 had bad forgot password routine on it, and you could just recover accounts. Um, and so when you look at you know what happens in development and, and through the life cycle of uh, these systems, you start to see that you, know, you first bring it online, you want that basic functionality, and then as you advance, you have to remember that that basic functionality is still there and you have to tie the two things together a little better. Why do you think these vulnerabilities, which some of them are kind of basic in terms of things that, that should have been covered. Why do you think they persist? Is it is it not a priority? Is it just not is it just being overlooked in the rush of other things or or what's your experience there? Well web security in general is a really underserved thing, I think. Um, I've been doing application security for about 25 years now. Uh, you can tell I a little gray in my beard from it. And it's one of those things where, you know, when I first started doing this, I'm pretty sure I knew everyone. Um, and here I am 25 years later, and I know a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just because there isn't a lot of AppSec talent that, that comes out, right? Developers don't learn this in college. There's no application security call, college courses like there are developer courses, right? Okay. Um, and so developers learn how to create the things, and then they get a little aside the last day of their school that says, oh, by the way, security something or another. <laughs> and there's not a lot of focus on it. So what we try to do um, as, as, as a community is we try to get developers interested in security and build champions in those organizations so that they can understand what it is that a security flaw would look like. It's a lot of just putting on your thinking cap and saying, what can I do to mess this up? How can I break this thing? Yeah. Um, and once you figure that out, then you can figure out how to fix it. And that's what we, that's the reason why there's such disparity in, you know, these seem like simple flaws uh, versus how much application gets developed. And it's because there just isn't a lot of uh, developers out there that are writing secure code. They're just writing code. Interesting. I mean, we so much talk about STEM and trying to get folks into engineering and everything else. Cybersecurity is is definitely on the, the cusp as well and needing more bodies and, and more good people doing that kind of work. Absolutely. But we had to fly. The Wright brothers had to get their plane off the, that sand dune at Kitty Hawk for us yeah. to go to the moon. Right. So it's just a journey. Great point. I'm kind of wondering, you know, you talked about you knew everybody when you started and there's going to be more and more people involved. It always kind of brings me back a little bit to the issue of transparency when it comes to a lot of these attacks and sharing information within the industry. 
how do you think we're doing? Are we being transparent enough? Are we sharing enough stuff? Should there be more mandates out there to, to force people potentially into doing so? So I think the ISACs have done a really great job of bringing people together, right? The FSI SAC, RHI SAC, there's an airline industry, right? And these are, uh, this is the ISACs are um, information security. It's a, I can't remember the, the sure. <laughs> I can't remember the jargon there, but it's, it's a group of organ, a group of people in the same uh, category, right? So retail and hospitality has its own security conference called the RHI SAC where just they, just the practitioners get to talk, right? And they get to share with each other and figure out problems. And that's great. The problem is, you know, airlines are very similar to retail and hospitality. Um, they're not sharing across that boundary, right? So uh, somebody is getting a bot attack for, you know, buying Nike Dunks, uh, the same infrastructure, the same things that are gonna hit uh, that Nike Dunk purchase workflow in a retail setting is going to be the same infrastructure, the same methodologies that hit the airlines when they try to do a seat spinning attack and, and take over all their inventory. Um, and so these are the kinds of sharing that I think need to occur more. Um, but, you know, OWASP and, and organizations like that are trying to foster that and get, get more discussion around it. And I, I just think it's not happening enough. Like I did a birds of a feather session at RSA last year. Um, and the idea was, you know, bring together anybody that wants to talk about anything. Um, we're not going to record it. No one's going to take notes, right? We, we just need to be able to share. Uh, and I only had two people uh, come to that thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're both from banks and they <laughs> and we did have a good conversation, but I'm sure there's somebody from the manufacturing sector that would have learned something there. Yeah. Well, I mean, echoing that sentiment, I was at a recent industry event. This was manufacturing focused. It was the, um, a great presentation that was given about security, but it was during a lunch session. And we had people more interested in the cold turkey and bad mashed potatoes than we were listening to this individual talk about these threats that are so real and so prominent right now. When it comes to the industrial sector and your experience in working with them specifically, do we think we're special? Do we think we're, we're too different that we can't learn from some of these other marketplaces? Oh, you're you're definitely special. Um, so, I, I you know I've got a neighbor up the road here that uh, has a company that builds assembly lines, right? And he yeah. works for some big automotive manufacturers and stuff. I went over to his place and I sat down and I said, you know, I really want to understand all this. Is there some kind of security implement implication that goes along with all these things? And he showed me how all these systems work and stuff. And uh, I was like, wow, there's, you know, basic usernames and passwords. Oh, yeah, but we always set them to the same thing. That way, the next technician will be able to log in and get it to work. Right. OK. All right. Well, I, I can understand convenience. Oh, all right. Maybe uh, it's like having one of those locks with the right. Everybody knows the combination. We can all get in. No one will be able to guess because yeah. the three things are worn off. Right. Um, but what happens when we decide to take that piece of equipment and stick it on the internet because we want to start to, I don't know, figure out how many times it flips over or how many things are given to us poorly or whatever that is, right? There's some kind of operational technology that's going to feed a data stream somewhere. Um, and that stuff that's going on now and, and more and more of it's getting bolted together, that's the stuff that I worry about for the future. Right. Being able to do things like, you know, I was just working with a beverage vendor a little while ago that was saying, um, you know, they monitor their plants for how much, uh, how many, um, 
ingredients they have ready to go. Um, and they have an automated system that orders more. And he was worried that somebody was going to order so much that it, they wouldn't have a place to put it. And then what do you do? Right. Uh, yeah. Reject the load, send it back. Like it's, it's going to cause too many problems downstream. And that's just a third party, you know, sort of monitoring type of thing. What if somebody was in there maliciously really screwing with it? Um, yeah. I heard a story years ago from a chocolate manufacturer here in the U.S. Uh, that was really worried about someone ordering too much chocolate to a hot part of the United States, right? Um, ruining an entire trailer load of chocolate would be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. And the industrial sector seems more and more vulnerable to different types of attacks as the hackers realize there's a ton of intellectual property here. There's a ton of money at stake. Supply chains are very closely intermingled. Are you seeing any different types of attacks or strategies that are being employed that are taking advantage of all these vulnerabilities that we're just not getting to in time? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not seeing the, the cavalcade of attacks that are just knocking the manufacturing sector offline, but I am seeing if you get noticed for whatever reason it is, it, it doesn't matter, right? You, you, you make the wrong post about the wrong thing on Twitter and before you know it, <laughs> the army shows up right right um in those situations not only are they getting owned these companies are just getting burned right down um they're either ransomwareing the entire uh, operation they're taking over their cloud environments and deleting everything um they're you know doing things that are going to be very difficult to recover from um and having just minor flaws in your systems right just pumping some data off of a system to AWS just so you can monitor how many times a thing happens um, sounds great. But what happens when I get control of all of those AWS accounts? Um, yeah. You know, and that's what happens, right? These guys get in there and they do stuff like that. Well, I think the, the big three when it comes, this is probably any industry, but especially in the industrial sector, a lot more phishing attacks, malware coming from like you said hey we trust these vendors they're coming in but somehow the usb gets corrupted and ransomware is a huge one in the industrial sector we've had some high priority ones that sort of grabbed headlines but there's a lot of other stuff going on that nobody wants to talk about when you look at these big three so to speak what's been your experience in sort of either dealing with them after the fact trying to head them off beforehand yeah you know i've I, I break ransomware down into the very simple, your emails need to be better and you need to teach your people not to click links, but that means you don't send them links ever, right? Uh, you can't tell someone never click a link and then send them their benefits enrollment link um, because they're going to then get an email that says something's wrong with your benefits enrollment. They're going to click it and that's it, your ransomware, right? <laughs> like yep. it, that, That's the end of it. I think that these external systems, right? So in all of the categories that you have, think about how you interact with external systems. Those are the places that protection needs to be put. Um, for instance, when I receive an email from outside of my company, there's a huge banner at the top that says external email, right? And a lot of times that email says it's my CEO and he needs me to step out and buy some gift cards real quick. Right. And the way I know it's fake is the big external email. Why is my CEO sending me an email from somewhere right. outside the company? Right. It's very simple to trigger people on this stuff, but we don't seem to be doing it. Those are the places that we need to put systems in place to make sure that our employees can operate in any way that they'd like and it be secure. 
right? Um, sit down with them and explain, you know, clicking links is going to be bad. That's great. And we should do that. Um, but making it so that they never get the links is better, right? Right. Um, yeah. And being able to report it and all that kind of stuff is is getting more and more important. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you bring up some of those very, very, again, the low-hanging fruit, the more simple approaches. We've got a lot of companies that are trying to do stuff like the double-factor authentication, zero-trust policies, all of that. But really what you're saying, it even goes before implementing any of that stuff. It needs to be more basic stuff in place. Yeah, it definitely needs to be uh, when you when you do your reviews, right? If if you're a CISO or head of security or whatever, and you just walked into an organization, what's the first thing you do? It's not try to implement some massive, really difficult policy. You put your head on a swivel, you look around, and you see what you got. If people are your biggest problem, then you need to focus on securing the people. Um, if those breaches that occur because of those people are going to cause your whole facility to go offline. Yes, your people are the place that you need to be. If you can just take your facility offline and get rid of it, right, so that no one can touch everything, um, why not do that? Well, that's the same idea here, right? You got to keep wrapping perimeters around all this stuff in order to protect yourself. Makes sense. I got to ask you this, though, Jason. I ask pretty much everybody who comes on. Ransomware happens, right? What's it your does. take? Do you, do you pay or do you do you hold out? You know, I, I just answered this question on LinkedIn the other day. It's, it, this is a great, you know, what do you do? Do you pay or do you not pay? Um, so I, I don't have, I haven't had to make this decision in my life, but I've watched a lot of people try to make this decision and I've seen it fail, right? I've seen them pay the ransomware and never hear from them again. Yeah. Uh, I've seen them pay the ransomware and the decryption routine doesn't work um, because they just gave them a fake one. Um, I've, I've seen them pay and get their things back. Right. But the number of times I've seen them pay and get their things back far is far less than the number of times I've seen the problems that go along with it. Yeah. So if you're concerned about ransomware, do this exercise, take your machine, close it and rebuild your rebuild everything it is that you're doing. Right. Because you now have a computer that doesn't work. Right. Can you do that? And if you can't, why? Start to put those pieces together that are going to avoid this idea. If you have to run around with an iPad to figure out how to get away from ransomware, do that, right? The next thing is make sure your servers are patched. If you're in a, a, an environment where you're worried about workstations getting ransomware, give them all iPads. Go secure the servers, right? Reduce your footprint and protect it as much as you can. I don't, I don't think you should pay. Right. I, I really honestly don't. I think it feeds a system of extortion that's just going to keep existing. But I also don't think you're going to get your data back if you pay. Um, and that's the the real crux of this, right, is you have to figure out a way around it. Interesting. Yeah, great perspective. And the one thing I want to reinforce here, too, to everybody watching and listening to this, Jason's perspective comes from a hacker. I mean, he's a good guy. He's wearing the white hat. But his job is taking that hacker's perspective on what they would do and how they would operate. So, yeah, and, I, and that's what I do every day, right? I, I look yeah. at a problem that somebody might have and say, how can I make this worse so they can make it better? <laughs> put, that on, put that on the business card, right? I make stuff. I figure out how to make it worse. There you go. All right. Hey, Jason, we've talked a lot about the bad guys. Let's talk about some of the good guys. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what Sequence is about. Sure. Sequence Security, uh, we started out as a... Uh, an organization that was trying to limit the amount of traffic that would go into someplace, right? Whatever that place was. 
we've got a pretty good foothold with bots. Um, and so we have quite a few retail customers that, you know, when they drop shoes, shirts, whatever is everybody wants to buy, uh, we stop the hype sale bots from, from attacking them and, and, you know, creating the environment that they can sell these things and, and create delight amongst their customers. From there, we move forward and said, well, we see all these other problems. And you've had companies approach us uh, and say things like, well, we didn't know we had that API endpoint. So we built a tool that allows you to find your API endpoints. Um, we have detection and mitigation routines that can run inline, offline, all that kind of stuff, um, as well as testing services. You know, we have uh, a full suite of humans we can throw at a problem <laughs> uh, through our managed services. Um, and our partner channels throughout the world allow for us to, you know, really spread this out as far as we'd like. What's nice about our solution, if you look at our core solution, you stick it in Nginx, uh, it runs a pipeline off to us, and we can do analysis, offline analysis or inline analysis, doesn't matter. Um, but we can do analysis on each transaction and say, is this a human? Is this, you know, valid? Is this supposed to be like this? Sure. Because we look at transactions, we can do things like you can upload a uh, API spec sheet to us that says, uh, if you touch this endpoint, it must be an authenticated session. And then we can watch every transaction after that and say, oh, here's one that wasn't authenticated, how to get through um, and build mitigations around that. So we really live deeply inside of API security. We have a platform that's called a unified API protection platform. That allows for us to um, sit kind of anywhere where you have data moving around your environment. Excellent. So looking forward, Jason, and again, great perspective that you have as a hacker. Um, looking forward to the next maybe 12 to 18 months, what are some of the trends that you, you're seeing right now, whether they be good or bad, I guess? Yeah, well, I'm going to ask you to remind, to rewind back to 2013 when uh web attacks were happening all the time, right? That's like target timeframe, Equifax, right? Like run through all of that in your mind. That was all happening on a website. Now we have APIs. So we've got a new layer and all the same problems. So we're living in 2013 right now. Um, and as 2013 advanced forward, you started to see web attacks get more sophisticated and that's where we're headed. API attacks are gonna get more sophisticated this year. Um, there's going to be more and more of them because they're so successful. If you look at the data that comes out of an API attack, complete, completely unencrypted, you know, databases that get dumped out because the system's supposed to decrypt them as it sends it, you know, it's working the way it's supposed to, right? Decrypt, send it out. Um, and so you start to see these attacks cause more problems. We're not seeing as many, what I would call shenanigan attacks anymore, right? Um, you know, the guy that, that hacked Brewdog, he was trying to get free beer. Right. <laughs> but when you look at, you know, the the attacks that are coming down the line now, it's I'm getting entire databases, right? I've got 50 gigs of database data that I pulled out. Those are the kinds of things that we're going to see more of. Everything going on in Ukraine, when that first started off from a cyber perspective, it was loud. There's a lot going on over there. Are you guys seeing anything more on the industrial front, whether it's utilities or otherwise that people are going after? that the cyber element of this conflict has escalated or is doing something different. Yeah, and, and it has. Um, so uh, from the organizations and people that I know that, that work on this kind of stuff, you see a lot more um, sort of nation state style things, right? Where they're attacking kind of industrial, right. industrial right. complex type stuff, right? Yep. Not 
Coca-Cola. They're, they're, they're going after big things. Um, and so we're seeing more and more of that. But one of the little cool things that happened with this, um, you know, the, the Russians being involved in the Ukraine or attacking them, declaring war. I don't know what they did, but they're blowing people up in the Ukraine and they shouldn't be. Um, what what we're seeing from this, though, is all of those Russian nation state actors that used to be there, they don't really have anything to do. <laughs> and so okay. they're, they're doing more and more like shopping bots. They're, 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 they, they're really? just kind of not busy, right? Um, and it's because there's only a few uh, units that work on nation state attacks from both Ukraine and, and the Soviet Union. Ukraine's busy doing stuff. Uh, with Russia. So Russia's right. doing things. But what we're seeing is um, a few more Asians um, getting involved. You know, there's always been a few people from Thailand, a few people from China um, that are, you know, sort of getting involved in uh, attacking organizations. What we're seeing now is a bigger step from China, um, though I will say they're easy to see. When the Chinese okay. attack, they're very loud. It just it comes all at once and it's a mess. <laughs> so it's it's kind of so that so the folks from Asia are basically picking up the slack because everybody in Russia and Ukraine is preoccupied with each other. Well, that's yep. that's interesting, boy. Well, definitely something to keep you uh, keep you busy, um, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us. Anything else you'd like to add before we before we part? You know, uh, the the one thing that I try to pitch every time I, I get on one of these shows is uh, if you have developers, if you have anybody writing code and they're not involved in OWASP, encourage them to get involved in OWASP. OWASP is the Open Web Application Security Project. It's a huge organization of people like me that, that worry about application security. If you get involved, I promise it won't be terribly boring. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Jason. For more information on the work Sequence does, you can go to www.sequence.com. AI. Sequence is spelled C-E-Q-E-N-C-E. -E -E. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, ien.com, or mbtmag.com. You can also check Security Breach out wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Amazon, and Overcast. And if you have a cybersecurity story or topic you'd like to have us explore on Security Breach, you can reach me at jeff at ien.com. For Jason Kent, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.